My name is Laura Dawn, and you're listening to episode number 36 of the Psychedelic Leadership Podcast, featuring a very special conversation with renowned spiritual teacher and vision keeper, Grandmother Jyoti, sharing her powerful wisdom for these times of change. All the spiritual leaders that I've walked with through the years are saying this is a time when we are going into a birthing process, so it's going to move to the feminine to take that leadership of life as it flows into its new form. And so we're in a moment where the masculine and the feminine are finding a different alignment with one another, where the masculine is learning not to defend, but to protect life makers. And, and that there is a balance and a harmony now that will come between the masculine and the feminine as we move into these new times. We're in a moment of truth. And this truth is in our face. It's the truth of ourselves looking at us. It's the truth of our family systems looking at us. It's the truth of our cultural systems looking at us. It's the truth of our world system looking at us. The instruction is you can't go around the truth. You can't go through the truth or try to manipulate or negotiate the truth. You must feel the truth. Just let yourself feel this truth. And as that happens, it will then push you into your spiritual maturity, which is really, we're we're in our moment of maturing ourselves. and not imposing my truth. You see, that's the challenge right now. I got the truth and I'm gonna tell you the truth. I'm gonna impose the truth. I'm gonna fight for the truth. You know, I've never understood why people fight for peace. It's like, be peace. (laughs) You know, one of my elders told me a long time ago, as as, because I'm an activist still in just different forms, but you know what you fight is what you become she said to me when i let go of the outer world instruction and started to let the inner world instruction be the driving engine then all of the circumstances and all of the synchronicities and those magical moments when i met just this right person that would then wake me up to the next part of what would be the cultivation of consciousness and awareness in me. That's how the life flowed. So I always say, don't get ahead of your medicine. You are your medicine. So follow that which knows itself. And it's about uh, trusting that which lives within you. The great ones know what we need in order to fully awaken to our authenticity. And that's the call right now. We really must stay in that moment and call in our full authenticity to make it through the keyhole, (laughs) if you will. And Native, Native American church was one of the first places I learned how to pray. I learned how to sit on my knees all night long. I learned what protocol meant because protocol is not like rules. Protocol is literally Earth's law coming through that accentuates life. And it helps us keep the power of that prayer that got started and handed those protocols from the original time you prayed. So when you 
keep those protocols unbroken when you sit down and open that prayer like the earth asks you to do and that full line of all those prayers before comes in with you and our prayer was unity and peace amongst all nations that was the prayer we were carrying and so we as first she said wake up you know work on yourself to wake yourself then come together and help others wake and then live together in community with that intention being at the basis of it all According to the Kogi prophecy, we are collectively moving through 13 years they call the Great Cleanse. The Kogis say that the Great Ending will fall into the beginning in 2026. In this episode, Grandmother Jyoti shares remarkable stories that help us understand the wisdom within these prophecies and the power of walking in prayer and points to the necessity of stepping into alignment with our authenticity as this is a time of reckoning with our personal truth. Now, I know the word prayer doesn't resonate with everyone. I mean, in all honesty, it didn't resonate with me for a very, very long time. Until I sat with ayahuasca and I learned what it meant to pray. And I actually invited Jyoti to come onto this show because I specifically wanted to talk to her about the power of prayer. And you might recognize her name and voice from the Wisdom Keepers panel that I featured as episode number 30 on this podcast. And I just wanted to spend more time with her and soak up her wisdom. And similarly, Jyoti shares that she also really learned what it meant to pray when she arrived at the Native American church and sat with elders in Tipi, communing with peyote cactus. Now, Jyoti Ma takes prayerful living, truly integrating what it means to walk in prayer to an entirely new level. And that's why I just love being in her presence, because it's just so palpable. So if the P word, the prayer word doesn't resonate with you or has too much religious connotation or just too much baggage associated to it, swap it out for another word. Use the word intention or whatever other word works for you. Don't get hung up on it. Just tune in and feel the frequency that Jyoti transmits through this conversation. And I know this is a long episode, but it's definitely one of my favorite conversations so far. And it's worth listening to all of it because honestly, it starts strong and it ends just as strong. I've listened to it a few times already, and I'm sure I'll be listening to it again. And so I also broke up the conversation with an interlude that Jyoti wanted to share. It's this beautiful recording of her offering a prayer. And you can also listen to this on YouTube as well. It's called Walk On, and I'll include this link in the show notes. And on that note, I'll leave this episode off with something a little different this time. It's not a song, but it's another beautiful recording called Prayer for Peace by Ila and Osiera. And it's from their album called La Medicina, which I highly recommend listening to. It's super beautiful. They have lots of other beautiful medicine songs on there. 
And I'll also include their link in the show notes as well, where you'll also find a link to my four medicine music playlists for psychedelic journeys and beyond. For those of you who don't know who Grandmother Jyoti is and just what a powerhouse this elder is, I mean, she is truly a remarkable woman. She was one of the founders of the Center for Sacred Studies and was also the founding member and convener of the Council of 13 Indigenous Grandmothers that you might have heard of. And I didn't know this, but she shared at the end of this conversation that the initial circle of 13 grandmothers has really spawned a whole movement. And there's now over something like 70 councils of 13 grandmothers convening all over the world. And so Jyoti considers herself to be a vision keeper and a seed keeper, which she talks more about. And she shares that after the Council of 13 Grandmothers took on a life of its own, she received new guidance, a new vision, a new seed that has led her to launching a project called The Fountain, which I highly recommend checking out at thefountain.earth. And their mission is to restore an economic model that is based on reciprocity and collaboration guided by nature and the sacred. Now, before we dive in, I want to invite you to reflect on the prayer, the vision you are holding and cultivating for your life and for humanity. Are you walking in alignment with your prayer every day? Prayer can take on a million forms. We can write our prayers, sing and dance our prayers. This is how we weave ceremony into the fabric of our everyday lives. And if you feel like sharing your prayer with me in person, I invite you to join me alongside other speakers like Aubrey Marcus and Duncan Trussell in Las Vegas in November for a psychedelic conference called Meet Delic, where I'll be offering a talk on exploring the intersection between creative problem solving and psychedelics for the leaders of our time. And you can get a discount on your ticket and that link is in the show notes as well. All right, I just can't begin to express how much of an honor it is to be able to sit down with someone like Grandmother Jyoti, whom I respect so much, and be on the receiving end of her enormous amount of wisdom. Some of you know the journey that I've been on with this podcast and how much effort and dedication it's required. And honestly, every single moment of challenge and struggle on this learning curve has been so worth it for moments that I've been able to share with Grandmother Jyoti. Moments like this make it all worth it. And I am so thrilled that I'm able to share this potent conversation with you as well. Without any further ado, here is my conversation with the one and only very, very special Grandmother Jyoti. How are you doing? I'm doing good, you know, navigating so many waves of change, just like the rest of humanity. We, as the Kogi say, we're in the ending times. (laughs) So... It feels like the grand upheaval right now is what it feels like. And the training is learning how to stay present in the middle of the whirlwind is really what it feels like. How are you doing? Well, the Kogi told us the ending would fall into the beginning in 2026. And when they gave us this prophecy in 2013, you know, 
we were entering into 13 years of the great cleanse. And so we are deep in it now. Hmm. Uh, And um, they said it's important to watch the ending as it falls down. So you stay informed, but to stay focused on that, which is breaking through and that, which is breaking through will be carried by those individuals and organizations and movements that are based on original principles of heart, reciprocity, collaboration, unity, and all life is sacred. And so that's where I'm putting my focus right now. The further instruction from spirit was to stay in the present moment, just like you said. That's like, that's the instruction. Because if we are in the moment that we're in, this present moment we're in, and our mind runs ahead to see what's going to happen, or tries to negotiate or manipulate it, then it might meet fear and bring that into the present moment. Or if it looks behind itself, it might bring regret into the present moment. But if we stay fully present in the present moment and receive what the divine brings to that moment and embrace it, sometimes that's the aha moment. Sometimes that's a challenging moment. Sometimes it's joy, abundance, overflowing. Everything can come to that moment but the great ones know what we need in order to fully awaken to our authenticity and that's the call right now Hmm. we really must stay in that moment and call in our full authenticity to make it through the keyhole (laughs) if Hmm. you will Hmm. and the clock is ticking and yes things are getting stronger and stronger and stronger Hmm. so shake all awake and Make us take a moment to stand in that present moment and make a choice. So we're conscious as we choose, huh? Mm. Mm. It's interesting. And and I love that you invoked this word authenticity. And I think it gets thrown around a lot these days. And so I'm kind of curious, how do you conceptualize this, this notion of really living in authentic alignment with our core truth? Well, I think it's an individual soul work. Um, And if you stay in that present moment and you receive what's brought to you and you fully are committed to your own full awakening into who you really are at the core of yourself, that's what I mean by authenticity. Uh, And that's work. It's a life work. It can be lifetimes work. to move through the karmic entanglements and the lessons that karma brings us so that we can get to the space of where our dharma is starting to present itself. And right now, globally, the world soul is in that kind of choice moment, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, Will we step out of a world that has to be right and wrong and divided and opposing itself and harming itself and and gone to sleep in itself? Or will we choose to be in that moment where we're ready to do the work? We we came here to do the work so we can leave a different kind of legacy. And all of us knew what kind of time we were going to jump into. Hmm. (laughs) So we chose to come here. There's no victim story anymore. But there, what she says is it's time for all the light walk, walkers, the light bringers to fully activate themselves. What does that mean? <laughs> well, there's, you know, in my world, I can only report from, from my walk because that's my experience, you know, and what it's, what's been touched by that experience. And I know that from early on in my life, I was uh, 
an activist of one sort or another. Uh, I'm 73 now, so, you know, you can imagine back in the days when I started this as a young girl in the South where girls were seen and not heard, <laughs> mm. uh, where a lot of that kind of law and, and things that opposed us and suppressed us in, in our authentic being of self uh, so had we had to wake up from that space we had to wake up and realize whoa i am living in a world where i was being abused so why am i choosing to do that and really start to embrace what i needed to do to heal things inside of myself that needed attention and that wasn't just for me but it was actually it's for our generations Oh, there's a generational line that runs through every single one of us. And so right now we're we're in the middle of clearing a generational history, a generational wound, a generation uh, that wasn't as evolved as we're we're stepping into. We're we're going through an evolutionary process with the earth as she evolves, so do we. Hmm. Uh, you know, the way it's been told to me, we're this is her sixth extinction. So she's done this five times before. And when I was in India, they and going in, in my pilgrimage there, I would go to sacred sites and temples, and they would have a, a clock on the wall, and the clock would be from 12 to 1 would be 2,500 years, and from 1 to 2 would be another 2,500 years, until it went around for the 26,000-year cycle. And at the very end, there's this little sliver they call the Kali Yuga, the end of a cycle, the end of everything caves, caves down on itself so it can arise out of itself to start the next 26,000-year cycle. So that's what we're in right now. We're in that ending time. You know, if we can step back from it and realize it's not because something went wrong, we don't have to judge it or guilt anybody about it or try to make fix it, you know. We don't need to rescue the earth. We need to honor where she is in her cycle and we're in it with her. So as we as we come to this ending cycle, if we can be aware of that, then we will realign with the mother earth herself who can give us instruction and has been giving us instruction since the original time. Mm. And she gave those instructions to her original people. And she shared with them how to care for this creation so that that reciprocity of life could flow naturally and all abundance that's in this creation could be shared by all. And that worked. And then we got to the place where a bad seed was planted and we, we started getting off and we started separating ourselves from nature, thinking it was out there and it was there and we were here, thinking we could control nature thinking we could, you know, put things in a box and economize them somehow or another. Uh, and that's when we started going to sleep. We started losing our soul's path as a, as a peoples here, as a race here, as a species here. Um, because we are nature itself with legs on walking around. We are part of this. And ever since the pandemic struck, you know, it, it's really clear if we can take a moment and step into that kind of perception and look at Earth, Mother Earth, and see where she's not well and start to attend to what she says she needs in order to bring that health back, that restore that nature itself, 
then we, our bodies will heal, our minds will heal, and we'll step into uh, um, a, a different uh, attunement for ourselves, if you will. Mm-hmm. Lately, the, the, some of what the elders are having us look at is how we got we got put in this box by this oppressive um, thought that we, we put in motion so many years ago through time because we went into the Gregorian calendar, which is false time. 13 moon calendar is goes with the cycles of this earth. And they say, if we can come back to that living with those 13 moons, that it will naturally put us into right alignment with ourselves all the way through. Then we'll be in harmony internally, you know? Hmm. So the prophecies have prepared us and now the prophecies are instructing us. If we, if we'll just listen, Um, Hmm. we're graced, graced by that. Hmm. I want to I want to ask you more about what some of these original instructions are for people listening. And before we get there, I'm kind of curious, what does the prophecy say about what 2026 looks like into the transition into 2027 and the beginning of the next cycle and beyond? Does the prophecy speak to that very moment in time? Well, I've been walking with prophecy for a, a lot large part of my life. And I came into it not even realizing I was walking with it my, myself and my community. Uh, and we've been in service to and grown by the Eagle Condor prophecy, where some of uh, the Kogi are speaking about. Prophecy in my world, you get, she shows you where you are and what's needed. Uh, she doesn't, she doesn't give me the instruction of what that what that will be about next you know Mm. i mean there are certainly amongst our original people some of the very old lines that carry some of that story uh, in much more detail but it's something they hold very private and sacred uh, because we're all making choices uh, and this is a system of reality of free will and Mm. so there are many different layers of consciousness residing here right now. And, you know, it's we've all been working for the last 30 or 50 years for sure with a realization that if enough of us walk into that higher consciousness, it'll be a tipping point and pull us through. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're at a critical moment right now. And I think the most important thing to know is wake up wake ourselves up because consciousness is contagious. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't make somebody conscious. Mm-hmm. You can't. It doesn't work that way any more than you could go out and uh, make the rose bush bloom quicker than it's, it, its own DNA will, will bring it to, to the blooming process. You know, we've got to understand that about nature. So we have to sit down with nature, be a bit more humble in our approach to all of this and really go and access deep, deep listening, which is some, I know you wrote me and said, we were going to talk about prayer this morning. And um, for me, that's, that is a process of deep, deep listening. Mm. So, Mm. yeah, it seems to me like you're dedicating your life through the projects that you're, you support through your Center of Sacred Studies and also with the 13 grandmothers to really help spread the message of the, these instructions for how people can essentially wake up. 
And, and so, I, yeah, I'd love to talk about prayer. And if there's anything else that you'd love to share around how people can deepen on this path and listen, and what does that look like for us to be able to receive these instructions from our elders and what instructions are we receiving to be in deeper harmonious alignment with ourselves, with each other and with this earth? I mean, it seems like prayer is a really big aspect of that. And are there other instructions that are specific that are being given right now that you'd love to share? Well, I think I want to enter that discussion with it's really about coming in with our curiosity, mm. not our need. No, mm. no, that's a Western thing. Mm. If we brush that off and come down to the curiosity that can be the seed of that, then we start to enter this discussion with a different attitude. Mm. And so when I look back at my life, for instance, um, and I, when we started this walk and intentionalized our prayer um, with the divine and with the divine mother, because we're instruments of what she calls forth and she calls herself, she of many faces. So, and she's been that way with us. And so if we, if I look back at that, we didn't know, we didn't know where we were going. We didn't know what was, what we were being called for. All we knew is that there was something very strong that was calling us all together to sit down in a spiritual community with that kind of intention to step out of the box of throwaway reality hmm. that wanted to, to declare our sovereignty through longevity, that we were committing ourselves uh, to waking up together. And we knew waking up was sometimes messy. So we wanted to do it with kindness. We wanted to allow ourselves to... Uh, bring our children into this world through that kind of understanding with a way of life that would bring more harmony and balance. And they would receive that understanding by just living it with us. Um, we, the throwaway society we were stepping out of where it was about, you know, I get a car and when it wears out, I get another car, same thing with the washing machine, maybe relations. I mean, you know, it goes on and on because when we have an attitude of throwaway society, we <laughs> enter it in a very different way. We enter relation with everything in a very different way. <laughs> so with that said, if I look back at my life, what she said as she started putting, I realized a few years ago, she was making a statement through us as we walked our prayer. And our prayer was unity and peace amongst all nations. That was the prayer we were carrying. And so we, as first she said, wake up, you know, work on yourself to wake yourself. Then come together and help others wake. Mm. And then live together in community with that intention being at the basis of it all. And then, uh, and then, then we were there, and we got our land up in the Sierra foothills here in California uh, in 1995, and really intentionalized that prayer and a walk as a community. Um, and <laughs> we didn't know how we were going to do that either. You know, we took one step and stayed in that present moment, and she sent what we needed, and then we just followed the practical side of that, the logistical sides of that, the legal sides that we had to put in motion to create a community and then grow a business and an educational system that would carry some of these teachings in the far reaches that 
that it has. And then in 1998, that was in 1995, and in 1998, in during ceremony, she came and she said, I'm going to give you one of my most precious baskets, and in this basket are some of my most treasured jewels. Those jewels represent lines of prayer that go back to the original time. Do not mix them. Do not change them. Protect and keep them safe and walk them through the doorway of the millennia and hand them back to me i have something we're going to do now we did not understand this instruction but up our 14 mile logger road to our place where we lived on the top of this mountain in the sierra foothills came the elders that would help to initiate us in those lines of prayer show us the protocols of earth that were given by those plants by the earth herself as protocol for how to live life in a sacred manner, how to maintain the diversity of these different lines of prayer as well. So that, cause that diversity once embraced is truly all a creation activated. Yeah. Hmm. So that up for almost a decade, that training went on with all of us. It was not easy. We had to really, they put us through many, many, many ceremonial rituals and works and fasts and pilgrimages and all kinds of things that would awaken this understanding of the protocol of life inside of ourselves so we could live in that original way and have that way of life be a way of life again Hmm. and during shortly after that then we had 9-11 occur 9-11 we had set up all these ways to really protect this basket And when 9-11 happened, it fell down. And so we created a church, the Center for Sacred Studies, so we could really care for these earth-based ways of prayer in the right way. Um, And then we really started getting the information, and it's a much longer story, that it was time. Many of us were receiving messages to gather up a council of grandmothers. And, um, And so... We went, I was on my way to Gabon, Africa, when this came up, and the grandmother there um, said, yes, I'm getting a similar vision, and it's time to do it now. And I was on my way to the Amazon, where we had a home, was part of our community for 22 years, uh, and um, took many of our community into the jungle, so the jungle herself could really indoctrinate us and help us wake to ourselves. And so I showed it to some of the women that I've been working with there. And they had recently signed a letter down in the Judawa region of the Brazilian Amazon that said it was uh, it was time. To, well, I'll, I'll, I'll back up for a minute, because really when Bernadette, when we were in Gabon, had showed us a letter that she had just signed with the Hayahuascanderos um, in Peru that said it was uh, time to declare all indigenous peoples to declare their sovereignty. And it was time to call the people, to to call them into play in regards to how, how it was not okay anymore for people to go into their pharmacies, into their jungles and take their medicines without understanding them and without permission. Uh, and it was time to declare that at this moment in time and it was time now. And then when I went to the Amazon, they had signed a similar letter with six tribes in the Judawa region there. And so that was the validation. Because as you walk it, then it shows you things. And then there's a validation. There's synchronicities. There's things that show up that 
give you the feedback that you're listening correctly. And there are elders along the way that you can bring this to and say, am I hearing this? Am I hearing this correctly? So that way you stay humble in your march. Huh? Hmm. So we convened the grandmothers, the International Council of 13 Indigenous Grandmothers in Upper State New York in 2004. That's when we handed her back the basket and it took us on a march around the planet. It was quite a remarkable time in 2004 when I remember Rita Blumenstein, who's a Yupik from up in the cold country of Alaska, who just passed a little over a month ago now. Mm. And she was a, a bright light in this world. And she sat down at that gathering and she said, uh, when she was nine years old, her grandmother came and sat her down and said, when you are old and gray like me, you're going to be called to sit on a council of 13 grandmothers. And I have prepared 13 bundles with sacred stones and white eagle feathers. You must care for these until that time. And when the time comes, pass a bundle to each of the grandmothers and take one for yourself and sit down and know I'm standing behind you. And the times we've been talking about have arrived. And so we didn't know at the time that there was prophecy held by many, many of the of our indigenous people around the planet that said there would be a, come a time when the 13 grandmothers would come to shake the world awake. And so for almost a decade, we walked with the Grandmothers Council. We helped to organize, to raise the funding, to, to listen to what they were needing and tried to organize and carry that out and be in service to that prayer. Uh, and then it was time for them to fly on. And a couple of years prior to that, I received the next seed. She calls it her sacred seeds. And it was called the fountain. And it had a mission, which was to restore an economic model that was based on reciprocity and collaboration guided by nature and the sacred. And so I caught this vision and I went down to meet with the four original people in Colombia. You may know the Kogis, they're one of the four. We've worked very closely with the Kogi, the Wiwa, and the Arawaka of those four. And I shared with them the vision we were getting. And I shared with them a symbol that I'd caught for kind of the original template of the fountain. And one of the Kogi elders said to me, where did you get that? And I said, well, in my meditation, why? And he said, because that's one of our oldest symbols. And that's exactly where the fountain should sit. And we should sit there too. And so of these three that I've just mentioned, there has been a representative guiding us. Now, I don't know if you know of, uh, of the Mamos and the Sagas of the four original people, for those that maybe are listening and don't. These are the spiritual leaders of these four original peoples. And the Mamos, they say they're either seen right before uh, the birth and then the, their mom and dad go through rituals to prepare for this higher consciousness that's coming. Are they seen in utero and recognized through ceremony? Are they seen when they're caught, when they're birthed? They're given then into the hands of the elders, into the caves, and they live there, do not see the light of day until they're nine years old. And when they're nine years old, they come out and they undergo some kind of evaluation to see if that consciousness is fully open. And it, if it hasn't, they go back in the caves till they're 18 and I've worked with some that have been in the case for 28 years so you can imagine the consciousness of these people so when we went down to meet with them they went into consultation and they did work and when they go into consultation 
sometimes it's shorter times, sometimes it's several days, three, five, seven days or longer. But when they're in full consultation, they're in the source of it all, receiving this direction. And uh, they don't eat, sleep, or drink water during this time. And so they have been giving us, they've gone into consultation ever since we met with them in the, that first time when we first received the vision with the fountain. They've given us the direction. We've walked out the direction. We've held ceremony to celebrate and have hold gratitude for what we've learned in those steps. We get the next consultation. This is how it's been for nine years going on 10 years now to bring the fountain to the world stage where we can really be an instrument for the mother earth in this critical moment of choice. So when I look at how this prayer unfolded, you see, it grew us, it centered us, it cleansed us, it awakened and opened us. Uh, And now it's at a place where she, when she gave this to me, she said, this will be the dot at the end of your sentence. And I thought, well, what does that mean? <laughs> so I went to some of my elders and one of them just threw her head back and said, well, then she'll give you another sentence. You know, I don't know. But I can see now that this statement that the mother herself is trying to bring into the world is coming through this many years, 35 years of walking this prayer and not knowing where it was going, embracing the unknown, you know, in it all. Um, you know, how, how do we enter into that place? I think we, when we start to have the idea come to us that way, if we brush off our curiosity and we embrace getting to be fully who we are and shedding all the false parts of ourselves we took on because of traumas we've been through, our family systems we've been through, our cultural systems, our world systems, you know, we're in a huge cleansing like we spoke about at the very first. And so that's where it begins. I remember when I was younger and I worked in Texas for 13 years with street kids, really hard situations really challenging situations with riots and all kinds of things occurring. And I'd been sent in as one of the first women to run an organ, uh, a, a home there that was supposed, had been set up originally for kids that needed to be adopted. Uh, and so, and then the, everything has started to shift in our social structure. And, uh, you know, we got, uh, birth control measures were put in place. We got foster homes put in place. Uh, a lot of this kind of thing took place. And so what had happened was there was a lot of dumping of children into this institution that they were sending me into. There were about, um, I don't remember exactly how many kids, but probably maybe 300 kids and staff to take care of them. And, but they had gone into riots uh, and because they had every kids there that had uh, murdered people, they had runaways there and they had everything in between. Um, and it was a crazy chaotic time. It was a huge teaching field for me, a wonderful study, if you will. But what I learned was, you know, I really wanted to empower the kids. And 
So when I got there, uh, I arrived, lightning bolt uh, struck the transformer on campus through a storm. And so I, I'm this little one running around my raincoat, going into each of the cottages where the kids were, ages 6 to 18, um, and saying, please gather your kids, do a head count, I'll be back in a minute. Well, who the are you? <laughs> well, I'm your new superintendent, and I'll be back in a minute. That's how I introduced myself there. And we worked really hard for the kids to take ownership. This is your home. What do you want this to look like? Uh, and they, we went through a lot to get to that space. You know, it's like Carlos Castaneda talks about it like uh, sitting on your front porch and there's a bad spot on the porch that will always be a bad spot. So don't sit on the bad spot, you know? So <laughs> it was a study of, was this institution sitting on one of those bad spots or could we, through our own efforts, and creativity and heart open to something higher in ourselves. And the kids did that. And just as they got that, they had started to own, they had started to get into better places in their lives and back in school. They weren't, uh, they weren't in this aggressive, angry chaos was gone. That government decided to sell this institution to the mental health out of the juveniles delinquency programs and into mental health. They promised everything for what was left there, but I had a feeling I got all the kids, but about five kids that were able to leave, be placed in a good place. And the other five, they just, they were, we couldn't get them placed. Little Ronnie who had come to me and he was either catatonic or in a rage and couldn't really wasn't able to be social, wasn't able to go to school, just a hard, hard place. Most of these children had horrible abuse situations and scary, scary lives, most of their lives, torturous lives. Uh, Ronnie was one of these. We got him a job at the filling station, at the front of the gate. He made relations there. He was doing well and about to go back into mainstream school for himself. And then this happened and they started manhandling him and wouldn't let any of us that knew him and what he felt safe doing in order to help him through this moment of transition. And it was just such a horrible, they put him in lockup and they wouldn't let us get there. And he was reaching for us. And I walked over to my office and I was just in tears and I was praying. It was like, Creator, what was it that I didn't see what could have kept this from happening to little Ronnie? Um, what can I learn from this so that it can make that worth something for Ronnie? Um, and the voice came to me and it said, it is, you can take your, your pebble and you can throw it in the pond here in this reality and it'll make ripples, but eventually it'll come still water again. But if enough of you go into the inner labyrinth and climb that ladder and throw your pebble there, it will be a wave that washes over this reality and then that will change and shift. And so that took me to the Jung Institute <laughs> and, and it taught me how to go into a process of individuation, to go in there and start to unpack all this luggage that I carried 
from our lifetimes, like I was speaking about, and start to get down to what's me? Who am I really inside of here? Not who I'm trying to pretend to be or some persona I have learned that will help me stay safe in the world or this or that, but who is, who am I? That's what I mean by that word, authenticity. Mm-hmm. That's when I came to prayer, and that prayer and that awakening process took me into ceremony, and Native, Native American church was one of the first places I learned how to pray, mm-hmm. uh, learned how to sit on my knees all night long. I learned what protocol meant because protocol is not like rules. Protocol is literally Earth's law coming through that accentuates life. And it helps us keep the power of that prayer that got started and handed those protocols from the original time you prayed. So when you keep those protocols unbroken, when you sit down and open that prayer like the earth asks you to do, then that full line of all those prayers before comes in with you and it opens you. I learned how to use, in the West, we talk it locked, you know. Uh, I learned that words weren't, if they were, if we consolidated things into our words, that the words could be more powerful and our understanding could be more clear and our focus could be more directed. I came to understand that prayer was, you know, Lillian Tomlin says when you when you pray to God, they call it prayer. When God speaks to you, they call it schizophrenia. You know, I think that's a, a really good voice of what it was like some years ago. I think we are evolving out of that understanding and opening to dialogue with creation, dialogue with self. Uh, dialogue with the sacred that lives in and around us and that comes through us. So hmm. I don't know a long answer to your question, but did I, I touch it. on what you were looking for? Yeah, I love it. And um, for people listening, you know, for me as well, I would say I didn't actually resonate with the word prayer. My Most of my life, I used to hide in the bathroom when my parents forced me to go to Sunday school. It just never, that sort of institutionalization of religion never resonated with me until I started drinking ayahuasca and I had these moments of, oh, this is prayer. This is what it means to pray. And I'm curious, you know, and everything that you're speaking about, I feel like the big message is how to embody a more prayerful way of life, essentially. And so for people listening to this who maybe don't resonate with the word prayer, maybe there's other words that you you can share, but for people who are like, okay, yes, I am feeling this call to embody a more prayerful way of life. And that's kind of why I was wanting to talk to you, almost like offering somewhat of a prayer workshop, you know, like what are the elements that we need to, you know, be with? And I think that you're also speaking to this place of like not knowing that it's a lot of bringing your curiosity and, and so maybe we could just talk a little bit more for people listening who do want to engage more with prayer. And I've heard you say mother and she, and is that synonymous to you with great spirit, source, creator, universe? What's, what's your sort of conceptual framework around that? 
Well, um, that's a good question that we could probably unpack in a lot of different ways. You know, um, I, I went through a Kundalini awakening process that was really strong for 13 years. Uh, and when I was a little girl in Texas, uh, I had a hard relationship with my mom. So I would go and find a weeping willow tree because it had these long, you know, curtainy looking that it was magical to me. I, I later would come to find out that was Kuan Yin's uh, uh, <laughs> tree. Um, but it would always have an arm that I could curl up in as a young girl, too. And then Jesus would come and he didn't have on robes and all this. He he just hung out with me. He I, I really get now that he was teaching me how to do out of body experience because he would have me go fly with the clouds and things like this. And I would come running home to try to tell people about it because I thought everybody had this experience and then I got in trouble. You know, your exaggerating got sent to my room, the, these kinds of things. Um, as uh, the Kundalini awakening uh, came on and that, that Kundalini is the Mama Shakti and the, re, the way they speak about her is that she sits coiled around our, the base of our spine three and a half times. Uh, and sometimes during a lifetime, she may want to fully awaken. And if she does, that's going to be many years of her going through the body, the temple itself, and burning out karma and disease and disharmony so she can clear that temple. Uh, my my kundalini teacher would say it comes in three phases. The first is if, if there's a fire that purifies and burns all free uh, then there is the cooling where the yogis would cup their tongues and there's this divine nectar that can drop down and you swallow and it can give like a rose uh, oil or powdery like form on your skin. And if you have a sore, it'll just disappear. They call that the cooling form. So the third where that divine presence that's beyond all gender, that divine presence can step fully into form and walk around and be in service then to this creation. And so uh, when it, as my, my own uh, soul involvement was preparing me for my soul work in this world, this lifetime, it got to a place when that, that my beloved, that, that walk, um, with Jesus had been so strong since I was a little bitty girl. And it was based on things that went, didn't have to do with the church form that we had gotten caught in and boxed into. It had to do with a, a, a mystical experience and a nature that felt so, it was just so, I was so attuned to it. But at a certain place, I started, the, the divine mother started becoming very, very strong in the presence of my life. And I was struggling with that. And he said to me, uh, I came through the heart of my mother, and so shall you. Uh, and so in the in many of, as my work in the world took me into walking for the last 35 years amongst our original people globally and learning more about uh, the, those amazing and wise and deep, deep teachings, I came to understand through many of them that they will speak about how there is a grandmother that is dreaming us now and will it'll dream us and is dreaming us into our new dream, even as we are moving in the flow of that dream. This is the Gaia. This is the feminine presence here. So 
And they all the spiritual leaders that I've walked with through the years are saying this is a time when we are going into a birthing process. So it's going to move to the feminine to take that leadership of life as it flows into its new form. And so we're in a moment where the masculine and the feminine are finding a different alignment with one another, where the masculine is learning not to defend, but to protect life makers. And, and that there is a balance and a harmony now that will come between the masculine and the feminine as we move into these new times that have been, we've been talking about here, that have been prophesized and we're in the middle of moving towards what they call the new dawn, the new dawn that's just arrived. And so I think that that divinity can take all different kinds of forms. That's the beauty of our diversity. So whatever is going to resonate and open your heart into that place, you know, it's like when you have a small child come up and put their little hand on you and say something just profound to you, you just kind of melt in that moment. You just, everything else disappears and just there's this moment that there's not a word for it. It's, it's a wordless place. But it's in it's beautiful. Or sometimes we have that moment with the awe when we're watching a sunset, uh, or we're in a dream, or we're in ceremony, like you're talking about. There's something that wakes up a knowing in us that that sweetness, that sweetness is our goodness, and that lives in every single one of us. And we forgot we were went to sleep for a while, and we wake to it again. And it takes on different voices. You know, there's a, a book that uh, Celeste uh, Yokobana uh, wrote. It's called uh, How Do You Pray? It's a little bitty book, It's and, but it's quite profound. And she went and got spiritual leaders all around the planet that would answer that question, how do you pray? So I recommend it to people to get it. It's 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 very valuable book. I, I found it that way myself. And Brother David uh, Stindelrost, uh, he says, what lifts you up that helps your attitude open in a broader, more open, unconditional way? Maybe that's fishing, he says. Then fishing is your way of prayer. You know, that place where you forget yourself and something else enters. That's that's the prayer. That's the prayer. Um Normandy Ellis said, I pray with my feet. So she takes pilgrimages and she walks. And many of you see many of our original people, sometimes when they're really wanting a prayer to be strong, they walk this United States. So they walk in a pilgrimage. Uh, a, a, that's a holy walk, maybe in Colombia, where they call the Black Line. Uh, there are many pilgrimages, places where people put their prayer through their feet, you know. So I think it it has to do with how each one of us takes a moment to just sit and what inspires, what what allows you to get out of the way and allows you to um I'd like to give you an example actually and I uh, if I could mm, please uh, uh about uh, maybe just the different stories will help 
touch somebody and they'll go, oh yeah, that's, I get it now. Or, you know, <laughs> and I wish we were here so we could each share in the circle because for me, I like to sit in circle and everyone is an aspect of myself. So when I get to hear all of the voices to the answers to the questions you're asking me, then we truly be able to see something, you know? Mm. Um, but I was teaching, uh, I was given, uh, uh, my husband and I were given this, uh, this formula called the Stargate mystery school that we opened it's still operating some 30 years later um and and it's in our different communities uh, that we have internationally um and um we were <laughs> you know i was looking at 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 uh, one of the classes and it was like we get up at seven in the morning and we finish late at night so they're long intense intense days we were over in europe presenting this and then uh, one of the students that was in our class, uh, Michael Stillwater, he came to me and he said, Jyoti, I'm collecting, uh, I'm going to some of the spiritual teachers. I'm asking them, would they uh, get involved with a project for hospice? Uh, and could you go to that place where the Divine Mother comes to you and see what she would want to say to people in this kind of transition? So it could be physically or dying or maybe you're at a place in your life where it's you're in a death birth process that's that intense so i said well come tomorrow morning before our day starts and i'll see you know i go and i sit and i just get still and and move out of the way and then she can come in and speak uh and so she did uh and he took the microphone off and we went out and i did the rest of the day about a year and a half later, he sent it back to me, and he had put this with with music. Uh, and it was the first time I ever, maybe one of the only times, I got to be on the other side of the mother's transmission. You know, her message is a transmission. And it, it, it was a very significant moment for me with her, you know, because this isn't about me. This is about that divine speaking uh, and um, and so then they took it and they added on scenes of the earth in order to really bring that into a meditation. And they put it all together into what they call graceful passages. Um, and uh, Gary Malkin produced that. Um, and it's it's got people like Ram Das and uh, Thich Nhat Hanh. Uh, it's got uh, Kubler Ross. Uh, it's I was I was quite humbled that I ended up in a circle this way. But I wanted when I started tuning into what you had said about prayer, how would I even in, in, you know start to be with people and just dust off our curiosity and look at different ways to look at prayer and life of prayer. Um, this story kind of came to mind and so I thought I might share with you and those that are watching today. Um, how that happened and what what the message was and how it got presented and it had nothing to do with me it had to do with me being able to be humble enough to sit and be still and let those first words come and see what would be constructed good morning grandfather i entered this life a ways back and put skin on to walk two-legged on this creation. 
and what a glorious time it was. It taught me about breath and about sensing and feeling and caring through my heart. And I walked on around that red road, looking and trying to understand more about the mystery and the secrets she holds. And you spoke to me through the wind. And you sang to me through the birds. brought challenges for so that I might listen to the message you bring me more sincerely. And I kept walking down this road. And I came round the bend at the middle of that curve in the road, and I began to find a secret in the spirit of myself. The door of the great spirit world came closer. My fear loomed up inside sometimes, 
but something called me forth. The morning star rose with each day. And my prayer became a centering. And still I walked on. Until I began to hear the song of the mother. And her arms embraced me so. is so beautiful that is so beautiful there's so much that I want to ask you oh my goodness I mean it sounds I heard you also say the word transmission earlier and to to me that's also so much the experience that I've had like when I'm in prayer this open channel just opens within me and I feel like almost like the seas are parting and I'm able to directly communicate with the source of all creator, you know, whatever word resonates for people. And from that perspective, I've also had this um, this understanding that it requires preparing our body as a vessel and our mind to be able to enter these, these really powerful states of prayer and also a container, you know, a ceremonial container. And I'm just curious if there's anything that you want to speak to from that perspective is that is that something that resonates with you as well you know the body as this this vessel of being able to channel our prayers and preparing our body and taking care of our bodies and our minds and also the space that we pray in absolutely you know absolutely uh that for me is what we've been talking about today and especially with our plant medicines uh and uh how they they've come up you know they say that uh, during time of great transition, like we're in right now, the dolphins, the mushroom people, uh, they all come forward to help us uh, during these times. And so all, a lot of our medicines have come out of their own lands to travel around and help the human race right now to wake to itself, to do exactly what you're saying, to really look, this is a the body is our vessel. The body is our temple. And we haven't, when we haven't been present in it, we haven't taken care of it, then it's kind of like a house that we didn't into. 
So we have to go in when we first start waking ourselves. A lot happens to help us clean this temple, to clear this temple, to take things out of it that aren't ours. Uh, to do that not only in the physical body, but the other bodies around this temple. Because a lot of trash and things from others that we've collected by just walking on the planet in this very chaotic moment where the shadow is flying like crazy around us, that many of us that are waking are waking to more sensitivity to all that. So we're like little sponges and we like didn't know we were. And we just soak it all up and we don't know that we've done that even or where to do with it. You know, in the old days when you were seen to have that kind of open system, you'd be seen early on and you'd be you'd be given to the medicine woman or medicine man or you'd be given to that one that that is going to train you up and get the vehicle aligned with your soul and your spirit so that you could because this is school. This is earth is our school. Uh, it's a school where really where spirit is trying on skin <laughs> to see to it's learning too you know it's learning too um and so yes that then the plants start to get the emotional bodies cleaned and cleared uh, and then you get to a place when some of that work has finished and then you realize you really need a spiritual seat you've really got to come to that place where you start to have practices uh, and that can be, you know, lots of lots of different paths from the source, uh, but all of them reach a place where they 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 call upon practices so that the mind can get trained up. Because our mind in India, they call it the crazy monkey because it jumps all around everywhere, and most of the time we get pulled into the river river of chitta, which is it chitta 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 chitta. It's all these thoughts and stuff. One time I. I did a practice where I sat down and it was before I had a computer. I think I was at a typewriter. Uh, and for six hours, I just recorded my chitta. I just was the one recording all these thoughts. Oh, I can't believe I decided I'm going to do this for six hours. What was I thinking? I got to go pee. My nose itches. And then some profound thing would flow in and then the, and I just recorded what I realized at the end of that exercise was I was the one recording the chitta, you know, that I could choose not to just jump in this river of thought and be swallowed by these things. I, I There was a sacred witness that lived in me, and that witness could observe and be in life, but be not of it anymore. And that brought me out into a different state with my consciousness, my attitude started to receive things rather than right and wrong and good and bad, started just to see things of what is. Because what we're really doing now is coming full circle back to a whole system and that whole system is what is really turning itself on again, you know, through us and with us. So, yes, I think all of this work is to do that. When we get those practices, then, uh, you know, mine, because of my kundalini, took me to kundalini yoga, um, uh, kundalini maha yoga for 20 some odd years of full practice, uh, the longest mantra uh, work that I did was 600,000 mantras. 
for the work that I was carrying in the world, um, particularly right in the beginning of the work with the Grandmother's Council. I wanted our community to have the highest level of work with that. So our practices help us to bring, throw that pebble in that higher pond. Our practices help us to access a higher level of our perception and reality and to do the work there. And when we do the work there, then it falls down into here in a very different way. Hmm. I found that access made a very different uh, uh, work for me. Hmm. Hmm. But it's just... You know, it's a study. I, I like to say things. If you're asking that question that's a, on a spiritual path, you've got a really good question that will bring you more than one answer, then that's your study. But it's a good question. Mm. You mentioned earlier, um, so would you, from your perspective, say that plant medicines can teach us and show us how to pray? You know, <laughs> the plants are intelligence. And this intelligence of the, of nature is a high, high intelligence. And yes, so when it comes to you, they like I was sharing, they say these medicines are out here to help us right now. And there'll come a time when they're going to go back home. And we'll only be left with the, the holy songs that they left with us and the protocol of a way of life, how to live. And that it once we ingest, that that intelligence is always available, always available after that. And so, yes, it wakes up the intelligence that lives in your body because body is part of earth form. And there's an intelligence that starts to align with that intelligence. And then it opens our heart where another level of intelligence lives. And when it opens that intelligence along with this full system, then we start to surrender. We let go of our ego needs and our attachments and our fears. We start choosing love instead of fear. You know, we did a practice inside of our community as we were waking ourselves at one point. Every time we saw something that we weren't sure what to do with, we would ask the question, what would love do? And that intelligence that lives in love is the core of all of this life. And so we're really coming back to the core of who we are. And our plants are out here to help us remember all of that mm-hmm. and to come to the right protocol. Because then we'll come to a way of life where we can all live together. And we can unify in our dreaming. Hmm. I'd love for you to share a little bit more about these protocols. And I'm also curious, are there protocols that can support prayer? Is that what you've learned in teepee? What are the protocols that you're speaking to for living in right relationship to this earth? Well, the original protocols are... You know, they're presented in in many different uh, original nations would have a different way of speaking to what those protocols are that the earth gave them. And then they would apply those in their daily lives, uh, and that would maintain the balance. At the core of all of those protocols shared in these different diverse ways are reciprocity, collaboration, heart, unity, and all life is sacred. You know, 
it's 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 applying you know like if you look at a protocol when the protocols for say a native american church meeting there are certain ways that we we get ready for that meeting there are certain ways that because of protocol i i need to take my tobacco and ask the the road man if he will run this meeting for me there are certain protocols that once the meeting is is happening and the tp is they're up there are things we had to do to get the wood ready and to get the sacred food ready. These are all part of the earth protocols in order to honor all these parts as sacred for the one that is sponsoring this meeting, for the prayer they are asking to be supported. Mm-hmm. So we're as a community coming together through these protocols. And then there are certain times of the night when certain prayers are offered up that mark a certain part of a response to the prayer of the sponsor. Before midnight is when we're doing a lot of the healing works and the letting go and the releasing work so we can get to this other part of the prayer that's coming towards that morning water time Uh, and where that water woman comes to sit on her knees behind the water that's lined up with the fire and catches the pearls of all that came throughout the whole night in answer to the sponsor's prayer. They say leading up to it, you may come to all the challenges and all of the things that make you not want to do it anymore because that's your work. But if you can keep, they say when you put, think carefully, when you say yes to a prayer, then it's in motion, then you've got to complete it. You've got to stay with it till it's planted or there's consequence. So, when my prayer has completed itself and planted itself, then there's a time of watching to see how it's going to restructure and reorganize my life around me. It's not something I do necessarily. It's something I show up for, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's almost like going into the spirit realm and imprinting the field that then coalesces into manifest form is one way I kind of think about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and each of the ceremonies had different protocols. They have different ways of opening that altar and closing that altar so that everything can be taken care of. And they're following the protocols. Again, just to remind everyone, they're how the earth said, if you're going to walk this way with this line, care for it this way. Mm-hmm. It will bring the strongest And that's why bringing these lines unbroken from that original time, that when we open them and we get to sit in these ways, that we get to sit in a way that's been held from original time and the power of all that's happened till now is in the room with us. Mm -hmm. Um, And that brings a different kind of reverence in the way that we walk up to these medicines. You know, like some... because we've been in, so imprinted and enculturated into a very oppressive culture that colonized everything around us, right? It's what broke us from our nature. It's what broke the protocol. It tried to break the protocol, but our original people had resilience and courage, and they brought that through so hard way, so much what they had to deal with, but they brought it through unbroken here. And now what she says is every one of us has cultivated a line from our root. And if we can come to the world table and identify that line, then those original people there 
will help us know how to weave this tapestry that is coming together to show us the new dawn that's arriving. Mm. So yeah, it, it for me that's it. I know it's kind of a hard, it's a different kind of concept of looking at things. Mm. Uh, when you go through that colonization, things you can go into things to see what you're going to get. So you're still an extractor. Mm. You're still a consumer. You're still coming in with that attitude and energy. If you just come in out of reverence because you've been called, something woke up and you don't even know why you're supposed to be at this ceremony, but there you are. And you come and you just sit to receive. Then something else happens. You know, it's like when I went into the jungle, I was there for almost two years before I really spoke out. Unless they asked me, I really wanted to learn the nuances of the culture, the unspoken things that were in the culture that if I go in my Western way and I go and impose my culture, I, I, I don't get to hear, I don't get to receive that same voice in the same way. I missed an opportunity and I, and that's what we're trying to rectify right now, that we start to acknowledge everybody's voice and, and the diversity of, of those voices. And everybody's got a different experience, a different idea, a different way of expressing, a different language can really muck us up, <laughs> you know, um, because different things mean different things to people. And language sometimes locks us in a box and, and limits our understanding with each other. Heart language that never does that. Mm. Heart language. So when I'm in that place mm. with the medicine, almost always by the time you may have to go through rumpled, tumbled stuff mm. as you're doing the work for yourself and for the collective, because it's a selfless work when you come to sit and work with the plants that way. Mm. But at the end of the work, you come to community and you come to a joyful feeling and everybody feels so good because we did this together. And we and we're here. Mm. Realize the gratitude of just holding this sacred life. Mm. So you mentioned humility seems essential, curiosity, and you mentioned authenticity. Also feels like trust is is a big aspect of this work. Well, I think we I think we are restoring trust as we deepen faith. Because mm. faith is the Faith is the the cornerstone. And when you're first in your waking process, a lot of what you're going to be doing is go through challenges that will test the faith and holding and working that until you get to that place where the faith is so grounded that all the things can shift and change and blow and challenge, but that faith will never be, never be, questioned again it's 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 at the core of the faith in self mm. you know it's uh and it's we're in a big moment of that right now aren't we mm. and that and that's going to as that as that pole deepens and regrounds itself in the source source of faith in the tr then the trust is restored in yourself first because we when we don't trust ourselves we want to control everything out here. When we trust ourselves, 
we have liberated ourselves and we have tolerance. We have tolerance for people being different. We have tolerance for all the different kinds of voices and the ways we look at all the different challenges that are up in our faces right now. I think the other part is that what she's been giving me lately is that we're in a moment of truth. And this truth is in our face. It's the truth of ourselves looking at us. It's the truth of our family systems looking at us. It's the truth of our cultural systems looking at us. It's the truth of our world system looking at us. The instruction is, You can't go around the truth. You can't go through the truth or try to manipulate or negotiate the truth. You must feel the truth. Must let yourself feel this truth. And as that happens, it will then push you into your spiritual maturity, which is really, we're we're in our moment of maturing ourselves. Rita Blumenstein said that her people would teach that we have just been learning about our animalistic side of our nature, our body, our need to survive as a body. And for the first time, we're moving ourselves up into the heart. That's what the mother's doing too. She's moving from those that third chakra into the fourth, fourth, which is our the beginning of our ascension. You know, as a human species, as as an earth, as Mother Earth herself is doing this. We come along. So I think it's also about truth and not imposing my truth. You see, that's the challenge right now is I got the truth and I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm going to impose the truth. I'm going to fight for the truth. You know, I've never understood why people fight for peace. It's like be peace. (laughs) You know, one of my Elders told me a long time ago, as an as because I'm an activist still in just different forms. But you know, what you fight is what you become, she said to me. And that was a really important, very simple but very important teaching. What you fight is what you become. And so we have to be now, we have to be the peace. Uh, I'm so curious to ask you that because, I mean, this was one of the things I wanted to ask you when you mentioned the word activism earlier, and we're seeing a lot of quote unquote social justice warriors. They call it sacred rage. And I think rage and anger is valid. So I don't want to say, you know, no, you should not be angry about what's happening. And you just really spoke to this. We have to be peace in our in our lives. And so, yeah, and I, I really wanted to ask you about that. Like, how do we balance this sense of activism and fighting against, you know, the powers that be? And also there's actually a lot of fighting against each other. You know, oh, you're or a white woman, you don't have permission to do this, or, you know, that that's the truth that I'm embodying. Therefore, you all have to live by my truth. You know, there's a lot of that going on right now. And so, yeah, just anything else that you want to speak to on, on the necessity of how we embody transformation, you know, and how we dedicate our lives to this path to be the change? Well, you know, that's another one of those good questions that we could unpack for a a lot. Um, So I I don't want to do it in injustice, but I'll start with what you started with because rage, you know, rage is fire. Rage is, is a, is a healthy emotion when it's not thrown around. 
So the, the practice right now for our maturity is to look and see when we know ourselves, like in our community, we wanted to wake up and we wanted to be kind, right? So if I go unconscious, if I fall asleep, and we all will because we're in our human form, then my, my sister over here can touch Jyoti. Did you realize you were, you were going unconscious here? Oh, was I? I don't want to fight that. I don't feel judged by it. I feel reminded to stay awake. So I wake again because I know when I go unconscious, I harm things. So first thing, look at that place when someone says something to you that's like a projection. If you know yourself well enough, you're going to take a moment and investigate. Is that a truth? If there's something about that I'm not seeing? And if in my examination and go, no, I just can't even relate to that at all, then I can say, I hear you, but that's not where I live. And I can be sovereign. I can declare my own sovereignty in that way. And not because I need to take it from you in order to have my sovereignty. You know, someone that's really walks in the room, that's really integrated with the power of who they are, they don't need to come and say they're powerful. They come in a room and you you know they're there. Hmm. Same way with all of this. So in my, our rage is up right now, just like the fire are everywhere. Our rage is up. If we take it and throw it around, we're going to make more karma. If we take it and hold it and just feel the rage, let ourselves have the rage, let it be okay to be upset right now with what's happening that's that's all right then that will burn something and it will free us from this karma and we will have done a selfless act you see enlightenment is a selfless act they say that when enlightenment occurs like a crystal it's consciousness is dropping in and dropping in. And at some certain point, it drops and the crystal is made. The enlightenment arise and you become self-realized. You become embodied, your full presence embodied in form. Awake. You're awake. Um, and so when that moment happens, seven generations before us and seven generations in front of us receive the healing of that moment. So when, we, when we're in this collective, big, purging moment right now, and we declare that we're going to be in service to this, then we've got to be awake enough to see the moments when we fall asleep. We've got to be awake enough to feel like, well, wow, because Kubler-Ross said, if somebody says something and I'm triggered for more than 10 seconds, I have unfinished homework there. We have to take the responsibility for the homework so that we can hold that rage and allow it to transmute and transform and open our dharma, open the new dawn. And that's a selfless act. So it's each of these, this present moment coming back to where we started, that's what happens in the present moment when we walk it that way. And nature herself, through her plants, through this intelligence we've been talking about, through the intelligence of the heart when it's open, it, it, it brings in everything that we need to hold that present moment just where we are. And we do it not because we want people to know we did it. We do it because it's there for us to do. And, and uh, it, it's something that 
we, you know, I, <laughs> when I was a girl running around in this creation, you could drink out of the streams, bottled water. No, no idea this would ever come to pass, you know. So I am doing the work I do right now because I want to keep listening and helping as many open to the work of our moment that we're all in together so my grandchildren can still have a beautiful creation to run around in. Um, so it's time to look at that truth. And when you're coming to sit in circles like this, just take a moment and examine what is your truth? What is your truth? Hmm. Would you say you pray on a daily basis? And do you have a way that you drop into prayer and receive visions? I've also heard you throughout this conversation say that, you know, you've received visions and then it gets more complicated when you say we as a group received visions. And what does that look like? How does that come to pass? But what does it look like for you to pray on a on, on a regular basis? Is it through primarily through meditation? Do you have a way that you sort of become in a more receptive state? Well, um, the many people call our community, which we call Kayamari, we, they call our community a Sangha, which in the Buddhist tradition means that every act we do during our daily lives is an act of prayer. So we are going to walk in a mindful way and stay awake in the present moment as we do everything. And that that is a way of life of prayer. Now, every I have certain things in my life that have been brought to me and passed to me that help me cultivate and feed that field of prayer. Uh, and through those practices and through the, the individuated process of what that... Um, well, let me let me just tell you this. It's kind of like at a certain point, it's like what was what I was on walk on at when you come to the center of that that circle of life and that it, that's around your 50s or so, that's usually when you come to the medicine of who you are. The mother said every one of us is an herb in her garden. And our work is to fully potentiate that herb and then she'll decide which one she needs to put in her soups to cook things for certain things. You know, So again, it comes back to that trust and relations because I have relations with, with the divine. Um, it's not something I, I go to. It's something that lives inside. Huh? Uh, and it came, it came over time, like the drop in the crystal. Um, so it's like, hmm. I'm listening to see what she wants to say. You see, I can just get really still and and hold the question you've given me, and then she could come to bring a story or a reflection that might help those that are in this audience uh, be touched or understand or open something for them. Uh, and so it's it's an awareness, isn't it? It's cultivating an awareness, an alive, radical awareness that lives inside of each and every single one of us. And we all get to that in our own personal way, according to the karma 
which are the lessons that cultivate our life work. And, you know, you're 50, you're not, many of our indigenous will say you're not an adult till you're 51. And then you're in elder training until you're 60. And at that point is when your life work really comes uh, to walk around on this planet. So some in our Western world, we think we, you know, by our 20s, we're supposed to already know what we're going to do with our life, right? <laughs> We've been put on this trajectory that's kind of forms us instead of allowing from what lives in here to come and present what it's needing that will then form us. When I let go of the outer world instruction and started to let the inner world instruction be the driving engine, then all of the circumstances and all of the synchronicities and those magical moments when I met just this right person that would then wake me up to the next part of what would be the cultivation of consciousness and awareness in me. That's how the life flowed. So I always say, don't get ahead of your medicine. You are your medicine. So follow that which knows itself. Because there is an archetype, a main archetype that is pulling, catches us and pulls itself fully inside of us. And Cornelia Bruner, who I studied with over at the Young Institute, she was an amazing, beautiful mystic um, and was one of the original women around Carl Jung's table. Um, so I was many times at dinner as her protege, and I was the only one under 80 hearing the stories of Papa Jung, you know, and what all he brought to that understanding. But she would say there's a certain point when that archetype swallows you. And when it does, your life is no longer your own. Your life is one of service. And so there was a time when that swallowed me. And then my life became full service. That's why I've been put in white clothing uh, for the last 30 years, only white. So, so my teacher said, I could remember, I'm always about service. Everything needs to always be in service that way. But that's not a life for everybody. Mm-hmm. Everybody will find their own way of what that, that authentic expression that they came here to open. Mm-hmm. That's, what, that's what I do know. Uh-huh. It's definitely not not boring. <laughs> it's not boring. Yeah, it was something from the elders panel that you had said too. It was like this notion that the medicine will find you. Your teachers will find you. If you cultivate that presence within yourself and that prayer, that it's not like, I think there's such a strong um, tendency in Western culture to feel like we need to go out and do the things and find the things, you know, that are going to benefit us or, you know, show us our path. But it's also this like radical reversal and also, you know, trusting in the process feels like a big part of that. Well, Carl Jung said we circumambulate the self until we're ready to dive into it. And so I think in that when we're seekers that we're, we're going and we're tasting a lot of different things. So we're finding what res- what we resonate with. We're finding that special flavor that will open us completely. And then when we find it, then it pulls us all the way inside of itself. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you this vision I had one, one time when I was first living in California. And I'd gone to the Jung Institute with this burning question inside. Um, 
Am I dreaming it or is it dreaming me? And who really knows? So at the Jung Institute, there are all these world-renowned people, you know, so I got to go sit at their feet and ask this same question. But I never got the answer that made the jingles go off. You know, the the one when you know, oh, yes, that's a, uh uh-huh. Oh, yeah, that's it. I didn't ever get it. I'm sitting on my couch one afternoon. I'm meditating. I'm not thinking of this question at all. It's many years since I started asking the question. Four or five years have gone by. All of a sudden, there is this amazing goddess eye. fills the whole ceiling. It's huge goddess eye. It looks like it's got the Milky Way flowing out of it. She's got long eyelashes. And they're kind of looking at me. She's kind of looking at me sideways. And she... her. She closes her eye very slowly. And as she does, it with each time she does that, I go a little deeper into this meditative, absorbed space. And then she starts laughing and she says, <laughs> I'm dreaming you. And boom, she was gone. And at that moment, I knew that when she woke up, I wouldn't be here anymore. Wow, that's profound. Hmm. And do you do you feel like you can just drop into those states? I mean, it sounds like you're a longtime meditator. Do you meditate still on a on a daily basis? I do. And I pray pretty much constantly all day long because I'm on places with you. Another in and every meeting that we we hold, and I'm in meetings sometimes 12 hours straight with global leaders and people around the planet that are working really hard with the what's breaking through right now. Uh, And we always start every meeting with prayer. Mm. Always want to take a moment and first start with that moment where where we can all meet each other in a place that allows allows an intelligence to instruct us and where we're going next. Um, So it is, it's something, it's something I grew to, you know, when I was young, I was, I had a lot of visionary experiences. They just were that way. They were just that way. And then as I told you, I got to a place where I got punished for that. So stopped going there, capped it over. But when I got to be, I had a a flash when my father passed. uh, And it was way before people were writing about the light and those kind of things during a death process. But I left my body with my father, and there was this amazing light that was in the corner of the room. And I, he never looked back, but I watched him walk into that light, and then I popped back on the bed, and his, his, his body sat up, because, and then it fell down. It would have freaked me out, you know, if I hadn't just seen where he went. But I saw where he went, and when his body fell down, all the belief systems about fear of death fell down with my dad. It was like, wow. That's kind of like the kingpin in our Western society that we fight and we fear and we, 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 you know, <laughs> we've gone a little crazy because of this fear when it's such a natural progression with the evolution of who we are mm-hmm. and uh, our spirit and where it goes, what's real, what's not real. All of those things got stirred up in this moment. But as I continue to follow this yearning in me, to, to stand and understand truth. It, it kept cultivating something. It kept helping me lose the falseness of myself. It helped me start to see 
Uh, I had to take responsibility for things. And when I did that, we could dream a very different world. Um, and it just, it brought me to practices. It brought me to ceremonial work. Uh, it had its own weaving about what will um, help me feed the spirit of life that is also directing my life uh, at the same time. And so she she lives in me. She of many faces is what she called herself when she swallowed me. And I'm in service to her. And so, yes, she flows in and out. And sometimes I'm just having a conversation and then boom, I, I realize I've just come back and I've said something to someone. And I said, well, I that was just for you because I don't know what she just said to you. You know, it's become more integrated in my life. It's not something I go and do during a certain day. I don't go on Sunday and pray and then this. It's something that has a weaving into all life. And everyone will find their own natural rhythm in theirs, you see. Mm. It's not about emulating, about allowing. And it's about uh, trusting that which lives within you. And knowing that it has your own flavor and it will resonate with others of the similar flavor, then you'll have your community. Uh, and those communities will resonate on a more global, and that's how we birth a new dream. <laughs> hmm. It also reminds me of just the sheer power of the questions that we ask in our lives. You know, it sounds like you've had a lot of just deep, burning questions that have just set you off on the journey of a lifetime. And it, it almost sounds like those, those questions of, you know, what is real? What isn't real? You know, am I dreaming this? Is this dreaming me? That those questions have actually manifested as your fate and your destiny. Yeah. So the question would be, as we're coming to a close, is what question lives in you? Mm -hmm. That'd be your point of study. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm out of the western mind and dust off that curiosity you'll realize that a good on a spiritual path a good question will bring many 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 different answers and it may be years before you get the full answer to the question hmm. you know this statement the mother is making through our community has taken 35 years i had no idea when it started that it would be a statement i didn't know it would link like it has i didn't know it would take me to where i've gone in my walk had no aspiration around it at all actually some resistance in the early days still at times you know <laughs> so but it's uh mm. your curiosity is this is a secret key to it get curious mm. get, get curious mm. thank you so much you are just a joy to speak with i wish i had hours and hours more with you do you do you still meet in person with the 13 grandmother council when was the last time you all sat together you know when they they kind of went off now on their own and i started following the seed for the fountain and it kind of swallowed me up and um in the last couple of years the mother earth delegation of united original nations has come and they're the ones now that are working closely with the fountain in this motion uh, of the prophecy and the the keyhole we're, we're moving through with the breakthroughs. 
And so we're listening to that instruction from them uh, as we move in. And that has the masculine and the feminine that's involved in that as well. So, and I'm just kind of, uh, it's kind of newly showing us the next step. So I don't even know where it's going to take us, you see, because I don't know where we're going. I just know where we are. So what the Grandmother's Council did and is still doing is to to really try to stretch this uh this prayer for peace all over the world and to really wake up the grandmother and, and all of our cultures because that wisdom is really needed right now. And it's a, it can be a comforting medicine. Now we have grandmothers uh, councils, 13 grandmother councils in over 70, 80 countries right now. It's, I'm sure it's growing. I heard that number some time ago. Wow. It's opening itself and moving on its own like that, you know, um, so I'm a seed keeper. And so when the seed is complete and what I've been asked to do with the seed is complete, then she usually gives me the, the next seed. So, uh, but they all weave together and they're all, you know, until I lay my head down for the last time on the pillow, I don't think I'll know what all of that stitching has been about. <laughs> it's a mystery. And for people listening who want to support you and the work that you're doing with the fountain, anything that you want to share in closing, I would I'd just love to give you the opportunity to share anything that feels pertinent to share. Yes, you can go to thefountain.earth uh, and that will um, sh- that will share that will show you more about some of what we're doing and the collaborative partnering and the convergence, if you will, that's happening at the direction of our of our Mother Earth delegation. Um, and I think it has a link in there to them as well. So you can kind of see we're on our way to the Yucatan now to have our first live gathering together because all of this was put in motion just as the pandemic was happening. Um, and yes, get involved, you know, look inside and see what is this part that's resonating for you where things can happen. That's how the weaving takes place. Trust yourself, love yourself, uh, walk with kindness, Mm. take the pill of patience as often as necessary (laughs) in the moment that we're in. So you can be patient with yourself first and patient with others that are waking. Mm. Uh, It's a birthing moment. She's in a making moment, our mother Mm. earth and in the churning of such a moment so is the yucatan event an open event that other people can come or is it just for the delegation it's just going to be for a private moment so mm-hmm. we can all come together and really land um the, what needs to happen next in a formidable way uh I, we may have a public one next time which will be next year probably Um, But I don't want to get ahead of my medicine. I want to see what this one wants and follow what they're needing and be in service that way. Mm -hmm. But we'll keep informed uh, and let's keep in contact because, Laura, thank you so much Mm -hmm. for all that you're doing and the places that you're opening for people and the offerings you're making and the diversity that you're watering. Um, You know, it's a, a beautiful basket that you have and they're caring. So thank you very much. I'm very humbled that you took this kind of time this today 
for us to have this, this kind of deep dialogue. I look forward to more. Mm, thank you so much. The honor is really all mine. I'm just so grateful for you and your life and your wisdom and all that you've shared here. And I just look forward to more time with you. That's my prayer <laughs> that I can learn more from you at some point in the future. So thank you so much. Thank you. Hi, friend. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Psychedelic Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed this very special conversation with Grandmother Jyoti, I really encourage you to think about someone who might be struggling through these times of change right now and send them this episode. They might really benefit from receiving and listening to this kind of wisdom, this kind of transmission that Jyoti has to share. And if you've been enjoying this podcast, I would so appreciate it if you could subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you really feel like supporting me, I would be so grateful if you could leave me a review on iTunes. Every review that I receive really helps this podcast reach a wider audience. If you'd like to be in touch with me, please feel free to reach out through my website, livefreelauraD.com. Or feel free to send me a message on Instagram at livefreelauraD. Yes, my Instagram was deleted for about three weeks, but I am back up and running. All right, I'm going to leave this episode off with something a little different this time. It's not a song, but it's this beautiful recording called Prayer for Peace really is the perfect fit for this particular episode. And it's by two medicine musicians named Ila and Osiera. And this is on their album, La Medicina. And their album has some other really beautiful songs. So I really encourage you to check out their music and I'll include their link in the show notes. Once again, my name is Laura Dawn and you're listening to the Psychedelic Leadership Podcast. Until next time. In a world of duality, may we find solace in unity. May we do our very best to walk our talk and give back to humanity. If coldness strikes our hearts, may we call upon the guiding forces to lead us towards the golden warmth of receptivity to explore the realms of our sensitivities and do our inner work to release our inhibitions so we can greet life with more neutrality. To find creative ways to move through the world with inspired adaptability. Because part of the purpose of life is finding within all of existence our commonality. We live in a time where we can be comforted by ancient and multi-dimensional intelligences of past, present, and future's creativity. May we draw upon this inspiration with honor and respect to spread the messages with integrity. To balance our personal power with humility and on this precious earth, may we learn to walk gently, to show up in nature and society, honoring diversity, intuitively sensing where there are calls for love on this planet 
and the bravery to give ourselves to the cause wisely. May we surround ourselves in environments which encourage our equanimity and the soul family who embodies acceptance and tranquility. We call upon the courage to be bold in practicing the art of uplifting the world through positivity, to step away from the safe harbor and fearlessly engage in human-to-human -human interaction without judgment so we can viscerally discover our universality. Because generosity has a life of its own and has the power to ripple on through all of eternity. May we never underestimate benevolent acts of kindness and remember to experience the world through the lens of empathy. This is a prayer for peace, a beckoning for sacred reciprocity.